Time's up. Almost. There's like three days left in our annual crowdfunding campaign. So there's really just a matter of hours for us to try to hit our goals. And then what we do is we, we, we look at how we did, and however we did, we set our budgets for the next year based on that. We set our ambitions journalistically. And what we do is going to entirely depend on this last few days because this is sort of a make it or break it time. It's, it's now or never, more than ever. That's how Bob Dylan put it. Last year, we hit our goals. And because we hit our goals last year, we were able to do all sorts of things like covering this neurological disease that the government has been covering up in New Brunswick. We were able to publish in both official languages. We were able to do seasons dedicated to the dark side of hockey and Commons new season on cults. We were able to do investigations like the one that we just did into this anti-Trudeau hate farm that we investigated and found that it's out of this like office in Cairo. We were able to bring you The Newfoundlander, our new series by Justin Brake, and we were able to bring you something that I'm not going to tell you about yet because I'm saving it for our, our, our last episode of this crowdfunding campaign, and that's on Monday, and it is – it's major. Uh, it's a story that Canada Land has been covering for years. It's going to be a return of some voices that you haven't heard in a while, and it's going to contain major revelations about a pretty serious story that you're going to be familiar with. We were only able to do this new upcoming story because we hit our goals last year. And what are we going to do next year? I know what we want to do. We want to continue with all the things that we talked about. We want to really focus on rising Islamophobia and rising anti-Semitism in Canada and in the Canadian press. We want to continue covering disinformation, misinformation, and fake news. We want to expand from analysis of what the Doug Ford government is up to in Canada to really digging in, and we're getting information that we want to dedicate resources to. We want to send a reporter to Afghanistan for a story that came to us. We have an entire slate of new shows that we want to invest in. And I got to tell you, there's stuff happening in the podcast industry. It's really falling apart in America. It's terrible. But what that means is there are all of these incredible reporters with stories that are like orphaned stories, and they've brought them to us, and we just need to fund them. We have a very ambitious set of goals for next year, and we have just hours to get the resources that we need. And how many of those goals we take on is going to depend on you and whether you become a supporter right now. And like, I don't know, I thought we'd be doing better because I'm an idiot. And I thought, I thought that maybe our 10th anniversary would be something that people might pay attention to in the press. Silly me. I don't know. I thought the stars were aligned. I thought like, look, they cover the death of the Canadian press every day. Every time there are layoffs or a newspaper goes under, there's an article. What about a news organization that's made it 10 years, like a model for how it can be done? And you can actually look at a bunch of other newsrooms that have followed our model and they're doing okay too. So this is the sign of hope. And we're at 10 years. And I thought that maybe somebody would write about that. And nobody has. It drove home a message for me that I got to learn by now, which is don't expect anybody else to save us. Because the only thing that has ever fueled Canada Land, the only reason why we're here is because people listening to me talk like this, maybe the first time they've heard me make this argument or maybe the 10th time they say, all right, you got me. That makes sense. I can kick in a few bucks a month. I want to hear those shows. I want to hear what you guys can come up with. I want to hear where this is going to go. And I'm concerned about this stuff as well. How can that be a bad choice? I want you to make that same decision right now. Now is when we need you. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes. Press pause. Do it now before the show starts. Now is when we need you. And thank you. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Glenn McGregor, reporter in the Parliamentary Press Gallery in Ottawa, formerly of uh, the Ottawa Citizen and CTV, currently uh, writing an excellent Substack. everybody should check out. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Glenn, today on our show, a Liberal Party plot against Justin Trudeau and deep fake panic. I'm not even sure that I'm real. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everybody by Sarah Binder, Alex Tetro, Will Pearson, Stacey Stilling, Scott Sawatsky, Logan Spearing, Austin Heyman, and we asked my old friend, restaurateur Jen Ag, if Canada Land makes Canada better or worse. Obviously better. Where we are getting our news these days feels dangerously limited. There are so many news organizations that are owned by awful people. You can't even get news on Instagram right now. So the work that they're doing at Canada Land is essential. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's good, Jesse. Okay, I like it. It's good. Okay, so Glenn, I've just been seeing headline after headline 
starting off with stuff that just seemed like regular news reporting. Trudeau's situation in the polls is terrible, and of course the press is going to report on that, so we get the usual the usual headlines about his uh, flagging leadership. But, you know, it's still tempered. As of, you know, early, mid-October, Canada's Trudeau, far behind in polls, remains the Liberals' best chance. That was by uh, Stephen Scherer. But it starts to turn at a certain point. Frustrated liberals say Pierre Polyev is crushing them, and some of them are blaming Justin Trudeau. Complaints from within the Liberal Party. Here's Lawrence Martin in The Globe. Why doesn't Justin Trudeau understand that Canadians want change? Why doesn't he understand? And then a senator, Trudeau resignation, prudent course of action, says senator from PEI. Huh. Then Susan Delacourt from the Toronto Star who my opinion of her work is that since Justin Trudeau has been prime minister, anytime he's been in trouble, he's had Susan Delacourt there to say, here's why Justin's actually right. And I've got the inside scoop. I've got people close to him telling me what really happened and it's not so bad. When you lose Susan Delacourt, here's Susan Delacourt. Justin Trudeau is a problem for his party. And even if he quits, it might not save the liberals, polls suggest. And then... All of these headlines bringing up the question, well, if it's not Trudeau, who's it going to be? All of a sudden, this is uh, November 2nd, Marika Walsh, senior political reporter for the Globe and Mail, Mark Carney, former head of the Bank of Canada. Mark Carney says he hasn't ruled out liberal leadership run. It's weird that that's news. I also haven't ruled it out, Glenn, but I'm not in the Globe and Mail. (laughs) Neither am Uh, I, and I'm out of a job, so. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here? I, I think I know how to read news stories, but- Sometimes I think that maybe there's a story in between the stories or behind it. Why are we suddenly hearing all this? I think a part of the reason is that, as you know, the parliamentary press gallery that covers the prime minister is kind of a pack animal. It hunts as a pack. And when it turns on something, it all goes together. And I think you're seeing that happening a little bit now. It it kind of puts me in mind of those old sort of mutual of Omaha videos where you had like the you know, the injured wildebeest that got separated from its herd on the on the Serengeti and, and then the, the pride of lions sees weakness and kind of descend. Now, there have been columnists who have been writing the same column about Justin Trudeau about to leave for years, and they do them regularly, probably quarterly. There's some, some conservative columnists who write that over and over and over again. And like a stop clock, it's going to be true at some point, right? But this is probably different because – you do have such unhappiness among voters, although I'm not sure that is transferring over to the party caucus or Liberal Party membership uh, writ large. Percy Down, the senator you referred to, used to be the chief of staff to uh, Jean Chrétien. Uh, yeah, he was the first one to come out and say it's time for him to go. Keep in mind, though, that Percy Down is not a Liberal senator. He was a Liberal senator, and then Justin Trudeau kicked them all out of the party caucus back in before he became prime minister. So there's a little bit of bad blood there between some liberals who are in the Senate who now have to sit as independent or members of these different various Senate factions. So what we haven't seen are members of the liberal caucus coming out publicly saying it's time for a change or aligning themselves publicly with another potential candidate. And there's a rubric for this. We've seen this happen before. The Paul Martin period when Jean Chrétien was still prime minister, and there was open dissension within the caucus, and you saw people, MPs, who were loyal 
to Paul Martin, who was then the finance minister and then moved out, aligning with him, publicly speaking about him. And eventually it was a coup d'etat. I mean, they, they, the Martin people successfully toppled Kretsch and he was gone. I don't see anything like that happening right now because you don't have a really strong candidate who was going to challenge Trudeau. And I mean, I think ultimately, if you look back at this, you've got all these opposition parties and their supporters calling for Trudeau to leave. Say it's time for him to go. It's time for him to go. You have a lot of conservative media saying he's got to go. He's got to go. Well, why is that? If he was so weakened and so unlikely to win another election, you would think that they would want him to stay. They think they would want to run against him. And I think the reason for this is they know that he is still probably the best shot the liberals have, maybe not of winning government again, but stemming the losses a bit, right? So if if the polls, the numbers we're seeing now hold, and we have this Pierre Poilievre juggernaut taking us into the next election campaign, the liberals are going to want to preserve as much, save as much as the furniture, as the expression goes. And I think a lot of them think, you know, even a unpopular Justin Trudeau is better positioned to do that than some of the other names. So, okay, maybe uh, it, it's pack journalism and the pack smells blood, so they're attacking. But where is the scent of blood coming from? What is a trial balloon in like political coverage parlance? What does that mean, a trial balloon? A trial balloon means something that is floated often anonymously, passed on by a source who isn't identified about something, a policy change that is being considered. You want to see how the public's going to respond. So you sort of like leak a rumor about it or you get people talking about it and then you're testing the waters. If if it's just like shouted down and humiliated, you're like, okay, that's not real. We were never yeah, actually Yeah, and journalists get used a lot as the conduit for these. You know, they'll have, they'll have someone contact a journalist, someone in their staff and say, I'm going to talk to you on record or off record or on background. One of the things that is being considered, and I can't say we're going to go ahead with this, but you know, we're going to, for example, we're thinking about taking the carbon tax off home heating oil, for example, to use a, a current issue. That wasn't really done that much in this instance. And maybe they should have. Maybe they should have floated the trial balloon, uh, see if it would fly, because this didn't. Uh, and this is becoming, you know, the latest in a string of missteps and disasters and problems that the prime minister has had, only just the most recent. I mean, this has been a long list. We just go back to January, the things that have been happening that have not helped him politically. The largest part of this, of course, is the context of the economy, the inflation rate, the housing problem. This has all been discussed at length. Interest rates are killing them. And then you've had uh, problems on sort of the international front, the alleged murder of a Sikh activist in British Columbia that Trudeau went out and just all of a sudden blamed on India, you know, like stood up in the House of Commons. It was quite unusual. We could go on and on. Like there's, like you got me thinking like it from, you know, blackface, got a Nazi in parliament, she's just uh, destroying the relationship with India, it just kind of went nowhere, that accusation, all, all these things. And then it's like, oh, an exemption to the carbon tax, that's going to be the thing? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be the thing. I think it's the latest thing. And, and like I said, like the, I mean, this is the way all these news stories are now being interpreted in the context of does Justin Trudeau have to go? Right? And I think that's the difference now. Back when the blackface affair happened, I mean, that was in the middle of an election campaign in 2019, so it wasn't a question of dumping him at the, at the time, but you know, all these other micro-scandals or crises that the government has faced haven't been sort of interpreted that way because now the pack has moved. Everything that happens on Parliament Hill, we're looking to see, is this a sign that he is going to go? 
And who is motivating it? Because if you're going to introduce into the public conversation, and, you know, the way the media sometimes works is, you know, you hear this refrain, does he have to go? They say he's got to go, NDP, liberals, this one, that one. And and it just becomes such a repetitive refrain that at a certain point you're like, I guess he's got to go. But then it raises the question, well, who could possibly replace him? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's Mark Carney's name. Was that a trial balloon? I think Carney has liked to keep his name in the news in this context, and he's been doing it for a long time. I mean, we've been hearing about Mark Carney as possible, the great white hope of the Liberal Party for over a decade, at least, going back to the period when the party was having such difficulties with leadership after Martin liberals were voted out of power. Then they went to this this process where they were trying out different leaders. Bob Ray was the interim leader at one point. Then we got Stefan Dion and then eventually Michael Ignatieff. And Carney's name was, you know, being bandied about back then. I don't think Carney's going to do it. And I'll, and I'll tell you very, you know, very succinctly why. I mean, he's got a great resume, like Michael Ignatieff did, but he's making, I think, a lot of money now. He's the chair of Bloomberg, mm-hmm. right? That's a big job. And, he, you know, he's got positions on corporate boards, these kinds of things. I don't imagine he would want to leave that position. I don't know what that position of Bloomberg pays because it is a private company. It's not a publicly traded company, so we can't get a lot of insight into their remuneration of executives. But I'm going to guess 5 million US, I think would be a conservative guess. He's he's doing fine. Why would you leave that to become leader, potentially to become leader of the opposition or even potentially, if the polls are to be believed, leader of the third party in the House of Commons and have to do that for four years rebuilding your party. I don't think that's a very attractive option for Mark Carney. It reminds me a little bit of another name that was bandied about as a potential liberal leadership contender was Frank McKenna, the former premier of New Brunswick. Everybody thought he was going to be great. He had the business bona fides. He was an experienced politician. He's going to come in. He's going to save everything. He ended up working for a bank and making you know, even more than what probably Carney's making now. He was making like, you know, at least $10 million, I think, when his bonuses were included. So it's a nice fantasy for people to have. I don't think it's going to happen with Carney. And then that leaves you with, you know, a smaller group of far less attractive candidates who might succeed Trudeau. Actually, that raises an, another possible motive for like Mark Carney has to want his name to be in the paper for us to be reading that he hasn't ruled it out. It's very easy to not be written about. So my question, why would we, we be reading about him if he wasn't staging some kind of a trial balloon to see if there's an appetite for this? Well, you could be raising your profile for your actual day job, making yourself a hot commodity in that sense. I mean, anybody could be kind of more attractive in the corporate sector if if you're you know seriously considered in the political realm. Yeah, I'm not sure he needs to do that that much. I mean, he has been professionally Mark Carney for a so while. So then, why do you? So why then? Why, why are we like you know? Why would he do the interview? Why why would he let that rumor? You know that that yeah. that's a uh, that's a decision, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, you know, I could be completely wrong. Maybe he really wants to do it. I mean, I, I always, I'm always baffled that people want to get into politics. <laughs> like if everybody like, went nuts for this news, or, oh, fantastic, our savior is here. Like that's what a trial balloon is for. Maybe right. people love it, and then you, and then you, you know, I, I guess what I'm learning from this is like if. My, my, my conspiratorial thinking, if, if I'm thinking like, no, this isn't coming from the press corps, this is coming from the Liberal Party, that might be like true, but like only maybe to some degree, like certain voices who are dissatisfied might be part of that as opposed to kind of a centralized, let's let's build a narrative because the party's going to do worse without him probably than with him in this next election, even, even as they lose. The other thing to remember is the party was almost, you know, virtually defunct before he came along. I mean, after, yeah. after Ignatiev, it was a disaster and they had to rebuild it really from the ground up. And most of the MPs who are now in the Liberal caucus were elected because of Justin Trudeau in 2015. They wouldn't have jobs. And they haven't known another leader. 
some of them lost their jobs and I mean, they lost seats in the last two election campaigns, but you know, the bulk of them were preserved. So they have loyalty to him. Also, Trudeau has complete control over kind of the party apparatus too. You don't see, I mean, we see some of this fighting, some of this going on in Alberta right now. You see in the UCP, there's this, this take back Alberta faction that's fighting with, this is not happening here with the federal liberals because, you know, they completely constructed it from the, from the ground up. It was really Jerry Butts, originally Katie Telford, Trudeau, and they brought in Anna Ganey, who became, who's the daughter of Bob Ganey, the NHL hockey player. They were in the dumpster and that team, that team turned it all around. They, they completely turned it around and, 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 then, and then maintained control over the apparatus of the party. And that was Anna Ganey because she's married to Tom Pitfield, uh, who is one of Trudeau's closest old friends. They grew up in Westmount together. And then he had, on sort of the governing side, he had Katie Telford, who had been with him throughout the leadership campaign and into government. You know, it's really kind of a two-headed act, this government. It's just, it's Trudeau and Telford, right? They run the show. That creates some frustrations within caucus. People grumble about that she has too much power. Why is the chief of staff showing up at caucus meetings? They don't like that. But that's the lay of the land. And I don't see anybody within the party being able to create kind of a coup from within the party structure. And the, the point of going public with it is to, you know, would be hypothetically to, to kind of like create this course of pressure, go take a walk in the snow, your time is up, and, and go out with dignity uh, as opposed to lose at this next election. All I'm hearing is he's never going to do that. Like he is not of his own volition going to step down. Like that, that's not going to happen. He's not. He absolutely thinks he is the best person to beat Pierre Polyev. Do you think he can? Yeah, sure. If the stars align, I mean, it's it's difficult. He, Trudeau's a really good campaigner, right? And this is the thing got to remember about him, and he's a much more improved politician than he was back when he won the leadership. You know, remember like all the things that yeah. he, mistakes he made. He started beaking off about China being the country he admires and things like that. I mean, it was you know he was really undisciplined, wasn't smooth, and was for a guy who had been a professional speaker through most of his career and made a lot of money doing that. He wasn't very good. He was not a good speaker. He's gotten a well, lot better at it. It ended up kind of working for him it, 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 because he, he made so many mistakes and he seemed so green and amateurish that when he showed up to the debate, I think the way Paul Wells put it, like everyone was so surprised that he like had his pants on. Like right. everyone just expected him to just make an absolute ass of himself. And he wasn't good or anything, but it was just kind of like, oh, he, it was not terrible. And it, it almost uh, created an interesting narrative. I think he could win. You know, you know, I've given this free advice to his team before. I'm sure it's occurred to them independently, but I know how he could win. Which is wow. <laughs> I want to hear this. He's just got to date a celebrity. <laughs> I think that's what the separation was about. I think as opposed to the like, hey, honey, I know we've been estranged for a while, but please just for appearances stick with me until this next election. I, th I think it was the opposite. I think it was like, I can't get the American media coverage that I used to get in the next election. That's done. I'm not going to be on the cover of GQ. I don't know if it was purposeful or not. Who knows? But now he's in a position where I'm trying to think, like, who would it be? Like, she's got to be, like, maybe a couple years older than him. You know, maybe somebody who, who could be, like, has a, a certain whiff or patina of intellectualism or, or, or political engagement, but, but they never said anything controversial. Mm. Like, Rashida Jones. Who should he date, Glenn? I, well, I mean— Taylor Swift has shown remarkable impact on a person's career, judging by Travis Kelsey's performance this year. So, but I don't think well, that, that couple's yeah. breaking up anytime soon. And then there would be kind of an age gap there that might seem a little bit unseemly. So, who's like a like young Helen Mirren, or like like uh, <laughs> or you know what, like what, like if you really want to go for the headlines, Lena Dunham. You know, <laughs> that was just uh, try to compete with that, Pierre. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily on his radar. You know, I mean, that's, you know, the turtle marriage. No, you're going to see. That's, that's you're going to see. It's going to happen. Talk about. I'm placing but. my bet now. It's going to happen. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. Glenn, there's so much going on in the world right now that people are missing important news stories that they really should take note of. So we duly note them. Do you have a news story to duly note for our listeners? The story I think is not getting enough attention right now is Pharmacare and the NDP demand in Ottawa to bring forward a piece of legislation implementing a national pharmacare program by the end of the year. And they're saying if the Liberal government doesn't do that, their deal to support them, to sustain them in power until 2025 is off. It's big news. And it's also, you know, so it's a big political story, but it's also really important because it's essentially what the NDP is calling for is kind of a generational expansion of our public health care system to include prescription drugs, something we've just never done. It was originally That was originally the idea when Medicare was conceived in the 1960s. It just kind of never happened because it was always seen too expensive. Uh, now it might happen if the liberals go along with it. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a campaign issue too, because Pierre Polyev doesn't want to do it. The Bloc Québécois probably, they have their own system in Quebec that isn't working all that well. They might, might get on side. And it's also potentially, we talk about things that could save Justin Trudeau's bacon. This might be one of them. This could be a very popular program if he campaigns on essentially free or very low cost prescription medic medication that covers uh, all Canadians. The big discussion right now is whether or not the bill the Liberals come forward with is going to be something called a, a fill the gap system. So that just provides drug coverage to certain people who don't have it now through private plans or through other kind of provincial programs, or whether it's going to be a truly universal system, which the NDP is demanding. 
And they say, Jagmeet Singh has said this, if he doesn't get that, he's pulling the plug. Imagine if Canadian news and Canadian politics actually revolved around discussion of things that matter to Canadians, like pharmacare. Duly noted, I have one here. Uh, people may remember that the little, I don't know, you're not going to call it a scandal, but like when we learned about how much money the government was paying to consultants and how much of the business of governing was being outsourced to these expensive consultants, there was a bit of a public uproar. And I want to duly note that the government is doing something about it. Here's a story that Bill Curry reported for the Globe and Mail. Ottawa paid nearly $670,000 for KPMG's advice <laughs> on cutting consultant costs. <laughs> it's a wonderfully, deliciously ironic headline, isn't it? Oh, mwah. Just, oh, of course, that's a bargain, Glenn. I mean, I, I don't know how to yeah. cut consultant costs. So let's get a consultant on this. Yeah. And it's, it shows the reality of, of government in Ottawa is that government has so kind of lost the capacity to do anything themselves. They have to hire a consultant, even to address the issue of whether they should <laughs> hire more consultants. I mean, it's, that's, that's the point they've reached. Why don't we just elect consultants, KPMG for prime minister? <laughs> Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Remember the World Wide Web? Of course you do. You use it every day. People have been predicting the demise of the open World Wide Web for many years now, decades. But no, it's still here. It's still strong. Apps have not replaced it. You need a website. You need a web presence. It's about time, damn it, that you thought more about your online presence, maybe beefing up your website or starting a brand new one. Squarespace is here to make the process painless. Squarespace has made incredible templates that are designed for the specific needs of your endeavor, but then you make it your own. Or you can start off with a blank slate if that's your thing. Squarespace will grow with you as your thing grows, your business, your practice, whatever it is. Squarespace has online store stuff, email campaign stuff, blogging stuff, member area stuff, social media stuff, great analytics to track all of it. Head to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the promo code CanadaLand. You'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. All right, Glenn, there's some strange things happening, okay? I was on the internet, as I, uh, I tend to do, and I heard CBC's anchor, Ian Hanna-Mansing, provided me with a wonderful opportunity to earn some spare cash. And the average earnings per month are already more than $28,000. Wow. If Ian Hanna-Mansing endorses this uh, $28,000 a month scheme, how could it fail? Then your former colleague, Omar Sashadina, CTV News anchor, he was like alerting me to an excellent deal on cheaper weed. Feel like you're paying too much for weed in Canada? And then I used to do news hits with Andrew Nichols, another anchor at uh, CBC News Network. I, he scored this amazing interview with Elon Musk, and the two of them were, were trying to sell me on, I don't know, some kind of investing app. He has come up with a new secret investment that has made hundreds of people very rich. Last week, he appeared in public and announced his new project, which, according to him, can turn anyone into a millionaire within three to four months without any difficulties and large investments at all. The businessman inventor urged everyone to take advantage of this amazing opportunity. And of course, a few minutes after the interview ended, the government called and asked not to air the interview, but it was too late. <laughs> wow. I love that extra conspiratorial touch at the end that the go the government is flying in the black helicopters to take the ad down. Thank God that Andrew Nichols and Elon Musk uh, said fuck you to the government so that I could find out how to get rich quick. 
So these are all deep fakes. And what our listeners can't see is that there's like somewhat convincing video to go along with that audio. Those were the voices or sounded identical to the voices of those news anchors. You could catch a little bit of woodenness or glitchiness here and there. And then the visuals, there he is, Andrew Nichols, though it's kind of weird because he's standing uh, in front of the CBC News Network newsroom, but the uh, the title says CBS News. Uh, <laughs> So these are all deepfake videos, and the deepfakes are getting pretty convincing. But reading about this, uh, I've learned that these are the worst deepfakes we're ever going to see because this is only going to get more and more sophisticated, compelling, convincing, and indecipherable from real accurate video. Glenn, have you been deepfaked yet? Not yet, uh, fortunately. And I haven't we'll, know been... we, we'll know we've made it when we're selling dick pills. <laughs> I can tell you, I know Omar Sajidina, and I, uh, he's not like Cheech and Chong, right? So, I, I, you know, these things are, are patently absurd. And if you look at them, you know, they're so, sometimes crudely done. And obviously anybody who takes another closer look and Googles is going to see that they're uh, not legitimate. I, I think that, you know, we've seen some of these targeting newscasters initially for a couple of reasons. Obviously, you know, they have the patina of credibility, the people who might be recognizable in Canada to TV viewers, and they have sort of an, an authority or gravitas to them that make them, you know, a good pitch person for what's probably a Ponzi scheme that, that, mm-hmm. that they're selling. But, but also there's a technical reason too, is that to do deep fakes effectively, you need a really good source of a lot of images of that person, ideally high definition video. Has yeah. to be well lit. You, have, you need good audio to do it too, in order to do the voice properly. And the voice is actually probably the thing that gives it away more than the video. So they're they're kind of vulnerable for that. And people are just pulling these things off the internet and creating their their ads. You know, it's heartening to see those things get shot down on social media pretty quickly. Certainly, I know because because you know I follow Omar on Instagram, and I saw his post about it saying, you know, if you see this, let me know because it's obviously uh, not true. So it does. I mean, people do debunk them online quickly. Of course, what's more worrying is what comes next when it's not selling Ponzi schemes or illegal cannabis sales, that it's something that affects the news. More sinister. And and we're getting a lot of coverage of really scared reports of people like, what's this going to be like in the next election cycle? What's this going to be like with uh, the next American election? This is going to be the election of the deep fakes. And we're already seeing it enter the political realm. Joanna Chu of the Toronto Star had a story last month about this um, spamouflage campaign, 5,000 posts on social media. This was all coming from China. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was not involving deep fakes, but some of it was. There was a video making its way around Chinese language social media circles of a very well-known Canadian video blogger of Chinese heritage, Lu Xin, Mm -hmm. who is known for his critical views of Beijing. And here was a video that would be familiar to anybody who's seen this guy's YouTube videos. And he's going on about Trudeau's love for pornography (laughs) and promoting a conspiracy that uh, Trudeau had paid a wealthy businessman to cover up sexual relations with an underage girl. That's a Buffalo Chronicle story that we debunked years ago. Um, And here it was resurfacing. And the guy like comes out and says like, I never made that video. So, you know, people get used to seeing, it's an interesting thing. And I, I get why people are scared because we're increasingly detaching video clips from their sources, you know, like, mm-hmm. like people are getting used to seeing legitimate video clipped and replayed on TikTok or through WhatsApp or, or elsewhere 
so that the quickest way of knowing whether something's real or not is like, well, who published it? Mm-hmm. And if you're already used to seeing legitimate sources and, and the chief way that you see them is not at the source, it's so easy, I, I guess, for something quick to flash past you and you're like, oh, I guess that's real. I guess that was said. So people are really worried about this. Do you, do you think that this is like a major threat? I do. I do. I think I think it's going to be a, a – I mean, we'll get, a, we'll get a trial run of this for us in Canada when we see what happens in the upcoming presidential election because that will be, as you say, the deep fake election. We'll see a lot of it uh, there. And we'll also get sort of schooled on how the networks are going to deal with it. CBS News is setting up something called CBS Confirm. Basically, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a crack investigative team of reporters and producers who are going to look at video as it comes in and – debunk it if it's if they think it's ai manipulated or if it's if it's if it's a, a deep fake and they're going to try and do it quickly because i think this is really a key factor especially in an election campaign is speed somebody puts out a video and if they're a credible source somebody on twitter gets sucked into it and reposts a video that is a deep fake it could spread very very quickly before anybody has a chance to come out and say oh wait a minute no that's here we'll compare, go back and compare it to the actual video, the actual footage we have at the network, or you know, and, and show that it was a fake. The question is, will anybody believe it? Either that's that's the, it becomes a credibility uh, contest here. Uh, CBS and a lot of the other networks have developed really good skills at detecting what is and what isn't real video. They did this extensively and, and still doing so in the war in Ukraine because we have so much social media video coming in. We're seeing it again in Gaza now too. People analyzing these things and saying, yeah. you know, it was was this march actually where where it, it was supposed to occur and where it happened? They're using techniques called OSINT, uh, open source intelligence techniques. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's like taking the video fr- a video frame and comparing it to an image from Google Street View to figure out you know which buildings are where and in which configuration. Can you determine where this actually happened? Can you look at the weather? Is there anything else other clues in there that's going to tell you where it happened. That's that's a really good process. We're doing that. It's slow. And that's the thing that really worries me is, are we going to be able to debunk these things, knock them down as quickly as they're going to be popping up? I mean, no. And they're going to get better and harder to, to detect. I'm worried and not worried. I mean, I, I you know, I think you're absolutely right that the, the, the war in Gaza is a good example of like, we're already seeing video, old video being passed off as new video and and video that later, like, well, no, the timing is off and, you know, it, it can be viewed millions of times and make people very upset and maybe even motivate people to action. And then later on, we find out that, that our, our eyes have deceived us or we've been deceived. So I, I do think in the hot minute, we can be fooled and it's going to get increasingly easy to fool us. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I've been thinking about this a lot. We've had deep fakes for 30 years. We, we, we have had Photoshop. Mm-hmm. The ability to do really high quality fake photos has been with us for decades now. And there is no absolute technical process for debunking a, a fake photo. So what is our process? Like if, if on social media today, a photograph popped up of Justin Trudeau fornicating with Pierre Polyev, mm-hmm. my, my initial reaction would not be, well, there's photo evidence. I guess it happened. Mm-hmm. Right. My, my initial uh, response would be, that's probably a fake because that's such an unlikely thing for there to be a photograph of. Where did that come from? What's the source? Who's sharing that? And then, you you know, okay, if it's a credible source, then you ask the people in the photograph if it actually happened or, you, you know, you, basically you apply journalism to it, right? right. So, you know, w- why should this be any different? You know, the easiest thing to deep fake is, is written reporting, right. you know? But that's what the Buffalo Chronicle is, essentially a deep fake. 
You know, that's and you right. look at the consequences of that reporting probably compelled the guy who drives his F-150 through the, the gates of Rideau Hall. Imagine if he'd been, he'd seen and believed a video deep fake, you know, how much more he might've been motivated by that. I think that people in, in that initial moment of seeing things are going to believe all kinds of things. And, and in this moment where nobody has like deep media literacy, it's going to fool people and there's going to be consequences. But in the long run, I just see it as a case for journalism. And, you, you know, you pointed out some people who are applying journalism to this. The French press has like a good fact check. Uh, you know, people are doing, you know, open source. But it's also like you don't necessarily need to have a technical analysis to figure out if something's a deep fake or not. You ask the same questions we always ask. Where was the shot? Who's spreading it? You know, ask the people involved. Did anyone else see it? You you apply journalism to it. Like, I can't think of in the past 30 years that many cases where deep fake photographs have really muddied the waters or really fucked up our ability. I mean, I'm sure there are cases, but, but I can't think of any major world events turning on fake photos. Like, we've, we, we have the capacity of separating fact from fiction when it comes to photo evidence when we were basically disabused of the false notion that photographs never lie. Photographs always lied, even before Photoshop. You know, there's always ways to manipulate photographs. Here's, here's why I think you're right and wrong. First of all, yes, you're right. We're now accustomed to photographs being fake. And if it's if one that seems alarming or unexpected, then we can question the source of it. And we started doing that, as you say, 20, 30 years ago when that technology emerged. But that was also at a time when we had a lot of trust in, in conventional media, right? And conventional yeah. media, and we could say, well, it wasn't in the Toronto Star, it wasn't in the Globe and Mail. I guess that picture isn't legit, or those publications actually do debunk it. The difference, I think, is first of all, deep fake video, when it's done properly, is potentially more compelling, right? To hear the words come out of somebody, to see and hear the words come out of somebody's mouth, and it's new. We're not we're not used to this. We're not expecting it. We think that, yes, pictures can lie, but video doesn't. If we have the video, where's your video evidence? You know, all those, you know, mm -hmm. the Karen videos of uh, we see all over uh, the internet. They're always like, I've got the phone. I've getting, I'm getting video. I'm getting video evidence. We believe video evidence. The other thing is we have so many people who are vulnerable to believing that who have completely tapped out, unsubscribed from conventional media and the sources that will ultimately debunk those things if, if they need to be debunked. So I think in that way, it's potentially more dangerous to our ability to assess news as it happens and also to the democratic process during an election campaign than fake photographs were 30 years ago. Yeah, I hear you. I think there is this moment of, of innocence with it where people are easily fooled. And I actually don't even think it's people who've lost their faith in, in traditional media as much as it's like new people in the conversation who never read the news anyhow, <laughs> you know, like they're in the conversation through these new uh, social media channels. And I don't I don't think they ever were like necessarily reading and following the news. But rather than feel like, oh, the sky is falling, like this is uh, this is the end of objective reality. I feel like it just it just kind of renews the mission of journal. Like we're just needed more than ever to put the light of this stuff and 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 to, and to figure it out. And I'm sure it's a cat and mouse game because you know there will be real videos that are surprising and revealing newsworthy events. And now there's a, a very handy thing that people can say, well, that's obviously a deep fake, right? Uh, so you know, like actually doing the work of figuring out what's true and false is like going to be more important than ever, right? Is there a business model for that too? I mean, I'm I'm really curious to see how CBS does with this. Whether they get eyeballs on this project this CBS confirmed thing, you know, it, it's time consuming, it's expensive. And at the end of the day, you are debunking stories that might've been sexier than the debunking, right? So, you know, whether there was kind of a business always, case for always. it. Always. The lie is always tough. more sexy. Like, you know, lies are easy. All right. Well, that's terrifying. Be careful out there, everybody. 
And that is Shortcuts for this week. Glenn, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Jesse. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. You can email me about what you heard today, jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. Uh, where can people find you and what's your Substack called? It's called A uh, Few Tasteful Snaps. So Glenn McGregor, G-L-E-N-M-C-G-R-E-G-O-R dot Substack dot com. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. Listen, uh, mere hours are left in this annual campaign of ours. So if you value this podcast, now is the time to support it. We rely on your support. And we've got something very special for you coming on Monday. Please uh, go to CanadaLand.com slash join or click on the show notes. We have all kinds of exclusives and interesting interviews that you can't get otherwise. And you will be helping us keep journalism alive and accessible in this country. CanadaLand.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.